Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. At the beginning of this series on metamorphosis, becoming more like Jesus, I gave you some homework, if you remember. I asked you to read the 23rd Psalm slowly and meditate on the words either three times a day for three days a week or once a day every day. Now, I gave you some flexibility. We don't want to fall into some legalistic ritual. So what has that got to do with our metamorphosis or transformation? Rob Mole, in his book, What Your Body Knows About God, quoted some neurological research showing the brain scans of people who practiced attentive and focused prayer 12 minutes a day for eight weeks showed significant improvement in areas of their brains that support social interaction, compassion, stress relief, low blood pressure, resistance to irrational urges, and peace. And that is why I asked you to start that practice. I want to lower your blood pressure. <clears throat> Slowing down to be with Jesus in a quiet, meditative way is a spiritual discipline that can transform not only your spiritual life, but how you interact with others. I know this personally, because if I neglect daily times of silence coupled with God's Word and surrendered prayer, I affect my well-being, and even worse, the well-being of those that I love and that I interact with. Now, I'm certain most of us have never met a shepherd. I had an older fellow for a client who raised sheep, so I always referred to him as my shepherd client. The only thing I remember him distinctly telling me about sheep is that they were quite dumb and they would wander into danger if they were left without guidance. In other words, without a shepherd. You know, Jesus had a lot to say about shepherds. In John 10, he says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Then in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus shows compassion for us who are not being ably led in our lives. In other words, without a shepherd. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them 
for they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Do we really believe that? Have we first turned our life over to the good shepherd, Jesus? If we have, we are in the care of someone else. We are not the ones in charge. Do you realize that? You are not in charge, and I am not in charge. The life we desire with God depends first and foremost upon the presence of God in our lives because the source of this life is God himself. Everything starts there. He is sufficient. He is enough. He is all we need. In fact, that is why immediately after the Lord is my shepherd, it says, I shall not want. Our challenge, though, is to stay with him in our increasing belief that God truly desires to be with us and provide for us. The ultimate freedom we have as individuals is the power to select what we allow or require our minds to dwell upon and think about. In Colossians, Paul reminds us this thinking is to be set not on things of the earth. In Ephesians 6, he warns us that we are not fighting our mind battle with earthly foes, but our struggle is with cosmic powers of this present darkness. We must seek the good shepherd by devoting our powers of thinking to understanding the facts and information of the gospel. This is the primary way, the absolute primary way of focusing our mind on him, setting him before us. When we do this, we will be assisted by God's grace in ways far beyond anything we can understand on our own. The more we do this, Jesus's thought life will possess our mind. Now the phrase, I shall not want, in the NIV it actually says, I shall lack nothing. The freedom from desire to have is tied directly to God's promise never to leave us. Whatever we may have or not have makes no difference because we are with the one who will provide everything we need. And this is what allows us to be content. Now, learning to live like this in the kingdom of God in the here and now can feel somewhat very tense or embarrassing. The disciples of Jesus were often embarrassed because they tried to do things and couldn't. They were shocked by what Jesus did in his very casual manner. In Matthew 17, Jesus rebuked a demon. 
the disciples, who didn't want to embarrass themselves in front of others, came to Jesus privately. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith, for truly, I tell you, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Faith, from what I have seen over the years, is often expressed by the casual manner in which people act. Faith should have an everyday feel to it. Faith is for our everyday life. It's not just a Sunday thing. In 1 Kings, the prophets of Baal were wailing all morning for Baal to respond. And Elijah told them, cry a little louder. Maybe he has wandered away. Or maybe he's on a journey. Or maybe he's asleep. Isn't it comforting to know that we need not holler at God. The good shepherd is with you and you shall not want. Think about that. You are going to go about the rest of your day without wanting. Isn't that what it says? And then you have the passage in Philippians 4. And my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Is that real for us? Or is it just in our head and it hasn't made it to our heart and life? Each of us need to concentrate on that question for ourselves. As Christians, we need to concentrate on that. Because if we expect to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, this metamorphosis of becoming like Jesus, that question is important. Now, many people, even Christians, quote these verses, but don't believe a bit of it because they're scared and fearful. The enemy has swayed and captured their thoughts and their minds. They never have anything happen to them that makes them certain that the personal hand of God is in their lives. And the reason is, we don't really believe the Lord is present with us. And God's presence is the whole story. That is what resurrection's about. The meaning of resurrection is just not the fact that Jesus won it's that he is now living with us. How does that work? Well, it works with words. The kingdom of God works with words. Remember, we're talking about a reality that is personal through all our days. Everything we think is independent of God is not. We have been trained influenced by our culture, by our education, by our upbringing, in some cases to believe certain things are independent of God. But that is not true. It is a lie 
and the pit of hell. They are all subject to the will and the word of God, and that is faith. That is Psalm 23, faith. Paul was the one who really got it. In 2 Timothy, he tells us this. He says, and for this reason, I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know who I've put my trust in. I am sure that he is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him. Paul is talking from experience, and that experience came about as a result of the encounter between God and himself and the daily knowledge of God's hand in his life. He knew the shepherd intimately. John 10 tells us, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Are we following the shepherd's leading? Are we hearing the shepherd's voice in our life? John goes on to say, they will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. On those days when I do not feel that I am lying down in green pastures or being led beside still waters or finding the right paths, I know I've been listening to the voice of strangers in my head. There are those questions that the enemy keeps putting in front of our minds. Is Jesus who he says he is? Is he the bread of life and am I, am I living in his light? Do I want to hear his voice or am I trying to just rescue myself? Do I trust him to shepherd me? Do I let him be the way or do I keep asking for directions? Is he the truth that I can judge all lesser truths by? Is he my life or do I use diversions and distractions and entertainment to bring me life? Do I abide in him? Do I cling to him as a branch to a vine to get all my spiritual nourishment from him? The questions are many that the strangers will try to put in our minds. In those moments and days, I realize the urgent need for my life is actually learning to slow down, hear the voice of the shepherd, listen to him in the deepest recesses of my heart, and follow his lead. Now, when you read the Psalms, you're going to run into the word selah 71 times. That word means to pause or to put your mind on exalting the Lord, the shepherd who promises both his presence and provision. It is an unhurried space to listen to what the shepherd is trying to speak into your heart. Obviously, the psalmist knows 
we need to do that many times. Sometimes, though, we get stuck in our habits. We have our own schedules of what our life is supposed to look like. We have our own agendas. Like Peter, in Matthew 17, when he was with James and John on the mountain, and they saw Jesus transfigured before them, what did Peter do? He told Jesus what they should do. He says, we're going to make three dwellings, one for Moses and one for Elijah. And just as he was speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and the voice of God said, this is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. The three disciples fell down in fear. What happened next? Jesus, the good shepherd, touched them. He did not leave them in fear. He said, get up and do not be afraid. You see, Peter wanted to do something that was not what God wanted Peter to do. Peter's wanter was out of whack with God's plan. God interrupted Peter. Sometimes I think we do not believe the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, because our wanter is out of whack. We have these things that we think are good for us, good for our life, Sometimes things that we are convinced that is what God wants for our life. But they get stopped in their tracks. We get disappointed. We get discouraged. Even fear takes over. We think the enemy is winning. But sometimes we forge ahead with what we think is best and are not paying attention to God. And then the discouragement comes later, when we find out what we thought was best was not so hot. But always remember the rest of the story. The Good Shepherd Jesus comes alongside the disciples and touched them and said, get up, do not be afraid. And that is exactly what Jesus will do in your life and my life when our wanter gets out of whack and things don't go our way and we think we have disappointed God and disappointed others. When we fall before him, Jesus the good shepherd comes along and as we take the time to be with him and hear from him, he says, get up, do not be afraid. So how do we live the 23rd Psalm in our life? Saturate our minds in the Gospels, seeing what Jesus did, his habits, his ways, his actions, his practices, his values. But just as important, 
pay attention to what Jesus did not do. He did not heal everyone. He picked up and moved on. He did not do everything the disciples or the people wanted him to do. He spent time and trusted the Father. He trusted the sufficiency of God. He was never worried, panicked, hurried, or controlled by others, only by the Father. Now, you may think you have many wants or lacks in your life. Lacks of resources, lack of health, lack of opportunity, lack of harmony in your relationships, a lack of peace. Remember the psalmist David was also living in the real world too. And Psalm 23 is our model for growing in the grace of God. It really covers the whole spiritual life in God's kingdom. I think that's why in God's providence, he has allowed it to be so common to hear in our world today, Psalm 23. He is calling people to himself. When you pray or even sing the 23rd Psalm in your life, remember there is someone is waiting for you to greet you, to guide you. We need not live a life of want or fear. I think the writer of Hebrews summarizes Psalm 23 well when he says this, Keep your lives free from the love of money or other idols who are displacing the Good Shepherd, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? Thanks for listening, and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com. There's no